Well, hey, we're in the book of John, and if you've been following along with our reading plan, we've read chapters 7 and 8, and I'm going to be preaching from uh, chapter 8 today, and the book of John is, uh, is an account of the divinity of Jesus, fully God, fully man, and John says he wrote this book so that we could believe in Jesus Christ, and that by believing, we would experience life and life abundantly. And in chapter 8, we see a tension, and it's a tension we're going to dive in today about some of the inconsistencies we see in Jesus. Have you ever noticed that he's really hard on some people? He's making whips and turning over tables and saying, you shall not make my house a den of thieves. And then with other people, he's like, hey, you're cool. Just go and sin no more. And you're like, Jesus, you're really mean to these people. You brood of vipers, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised Philistines. Like, wow, chill out, Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> But then sometimes he's just like, hey, you're good. Just be, be cool. <laughs> you're like, well, Jesus, that is something that has to be resolved. There's a tension. And I'm going to address the tension between grace and truth today between mercy and judgment. And so let's, let's go into John 8 and dive right into this. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So there's the tension. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. You are sinning, but don't do it anymore. And so the title of my message today is Double Standard. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word, and I pray that we wouldn't be just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, a number of years ago, Amritha and I were driving from Louisville, Kentucky, to Detroit, Michigan, and then uh, we were going to drive through Cincinnati, Ohio on the way, and uh, we're driving along, and my friend Snapchats us and says, happy anniversary, and it was our anniversary, and Amritha goes, Pradeepin, it's our anniversary. I totally forgot. She goes, did you forget too? And about 10 minutes later, we pulled over on the exit because I had not forgotten our anniversary because I'm a good person. And uh, I said, I have actually planned an extravagant helicopter ride for us where we can get an aerial view of Cincinnati. A round of applause for a good husband. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Totally organic. And, uh, <laughs> and so we have this amazing helicopter ride. And then she says, it's better that you forgot it's better that I forgot and not me, because if you would have forgotten, that would have been bad. But me forgotten, forgetting, that's all right. No big deal. And I was like, I'm Rita's voice into me. She's like, no, I did not say that. No. But she did, you did say, hey, if I would have forgotten, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. You forgetting, 
Yeah, she felt bad. She's a woman of God. She's full of grace and mercy and truth, and I love her, and she loves me, and she's a great wife. Round of applause for a great wife. It's <laughs> working out our marriage here real quick. You know, and this, this whole idea that if, uh, if I would have done this, it wouldn't have been as bad, but you doing it, you know, or whatever, and vice versa, it's kind of a double standard. She can get away with more than I can get away with. Have you ever noticed that in certain relationships or with certain people? Hey, I want you to accept me as I am, but you need to change. Or, or people who are like, hey, your sister's crazy. And you're like, don't you dare talk about my sister. And you're like, you talk about how crazy your sister is all the time. You can say it, but I can't. Anybody been there with families? That's a, that's a double standard. And in our marriage, I've learned some of the Kansas sayings that Amrita says that I haven't always understood. I grew up in a Sri Lankan home. My family, refugees, didn't know a lot of American culture. And so some of these phrases just didn't inhabit our household, but Amrita's house, they did. She grew up in Kansas, uh, and so they would say things like, hey, and Amrita will say this to me in marriage sometimes, you're, you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. And have you ever heard that phrase? It, it means kind of like a double standard. You say this, and now you're saying this. Hey, you're, you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. And when I hear that, I'm thinking, why would I want to speak out of one side of my mouth? Who talks like this? I want to use the fullness of my mouth. Can I get a better amen? <laughs> and sometimes she'll say things like, hey, like, hey, that you can't you can't have it both ways, kind of this double standard. You can't have your cake, say it if you know it, and eat it too. I'm like, what is the point of eating and owning a cake if I can't eat it? I'm not, I'm not just gonna buy I'm not just gonna have like my owning cakes and my eating cakes. Don't eat that! That's the cake I own. Like, no, these are the eating cakes. Why, has anybody here ever bought a cake that you don't eat? Like, what is the point? You can't have your cake and eat it too. I'm like, no, I'm gonna eat the cake that I own. I own it, I can make my own choice. I will, it's gonna, it's my cake. Okay, <laughs> any cake lovers in the house? <laughs> and so it's just this whole idea of double standards. And you know, I feel like, there are double standards all around us. Like in our culture, there, there is uh, this whole idea of like truth is relative. And, uh, and because of that, you can kind of believe whatever you want to believe. Have you ever heard this phrase like when it comes to corrupt businesses and big government? Hey, we need some people to cry out for the injustices of the world. We need to speak truth to power. Have you ever heard that phrase? Someone needs to confront. Someone needs to take a stand. Someone needs to, to rally and make a difference. We need to speak truth to power. But then on the other hand, we'll say things like, you need to follow your own truth. Right? So, like, what, what's going on here? It's like a double standard. Hey, be, you, it's wrong to be racist, but follow your own truth. Like, what, what is it? Like, we, 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 we will say, like, I'm crying out for the injustices of the land, but who am I to judge? Don't be judgmental, but oh my goodness, these people are doing such things wrong. There's system, systemic injustices in our land, and someone needs to take that stand. 
but who am I to judge? And it's like, what do we do with all of these tensions, these inconsistencies that are going on in our world, you know? And, and when I, I look at the life of Jesus, I, I sense these tensions, like, go and sin no more, but I don't condemn you. You are a brood of vipers, but hey, like, don't, if anybody calls someone a fool, you're in danger of fire. Like, what, Jesus, you're saying some aggressive statements, but then you're telling us not to stay, say aggressive statements. Like, what are we supposed to do? And I think this is an appropriate tension to address in the book of John. You know, especially as we started off the chapter, first chapter, chapter one, we see a verse that kind of illustrates maybe of these feelings we've had. In John 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And here, here's a phrase that I think kind of represents what we're identifying Jesus. Uh, full of grace and truth. So we, we see a description of Jesus that John has given us that he wasn't just like a little bit of grace, like, hey, mercy, it's cool. And he wasn't just a little bit of truth, like judgment and uh, correction and how things should be. He was full of both grace and truth. And even in verse 16, it says, out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the lot was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And when we look at the life of Jesus, maybe you've noticed this as we've been walking through the book of John, but Jesus' decision-making process seems inconsistent. It seems a, a little bit messy. It seems a little bit confusing. Have you ever felt like that? Like, Jesus, like, what would Jesus do? I have no idea because Jesus treats people different according to different circumstances and scripture. And so today, I'm going to talk about how we need to, as followers of Jesus Christ, be full of grace and full of truth. That we should be like Jesus, not water down one for the other, but seek to live in the tension of both. Because let's be honest, some of us have grown up in church experiences where we fall into one of these ditches. We feel like churches preach the scripture, but maybe it's incomplete. Some of the churches I've been part of, they're all truth. And they're mean, right? Like, hey, this is how you ought to live. This is what you're doing wrong. This is what's right. And it's just all truth works. This is how you're supposed to behave. This is how you're supposed to perform. Have you ever seen a church like that or a preacher like that? All truth. And then on the other ditch, I've seen churches where it's like all grace. Like, hey, live however you want. You can just do whatever you want. You don't ever have to change your behavior. You don't ever have to change your ways. There's grace. Grace on grace on grace. Do whatever you want. Jesus is cool. Like, wear that tie-dye t-shirt. Jesus is cool. And uh, I mean, it's just grace and truth. But here in the scriptures, we see this tension that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And, and here, here's kind of my thesis statement. And what I'm wanting to share with this message is this. Truth without grace is mean. And grace without truth is meaningless. Without truth, we are corrupt. Without grace, we are condemned. And so this whole idea of we need to be full of both. Truth without grace is mean. 
Grace without truth is meaningless. Without truth, we are corrupt. Without grace, we are condemned. We need both. What is the point of telling people Jesus forgives you if they don't know they need to be forgiven in the first place? What is the point? But we have both. And so let's dive into this. Number one, we need grace. I like the story in John 8. So Jesus, he's approached by a crowd, and they bring out a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. And this whole story starts off really mean and judgmental. These religious leaders, they they bring out a woman and they put her in front of this mob, and they just are humiliating her and embarrassing her. And just side note, if they caught her in the act of adultery, that means these men were watching, right? They caught her in the act, and there's some shady business going on. They bring her in front of the crowd, and they're like, Jesus, hey, we are uh, wanting to know what to do. Should we stone this woman? And Already right off the bat, they're trying to trap Jesus because the Jewish law, the law that was given through Moses, says that, hey, if someone commits adultery, you're supposed to stone them. But Roman law says you're not allowed to just put people to death. So right off the bat, this this crowd does not really have good intentions. They're embarrassing a woman. They're humiliating her in order to trap Jesus between these two tensions between following the law of Moses and following the Roman law. And so uh, they try to trap Jesus. And then Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to take a moment. And he goes into the... The, 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 the courts, and he starts writing in the dust, and he, he's, not, he's not responding immediately like they want. They're, it says in the scriptures that they're demanding an answers. Jesus, peaceful, takes his time and starts writing in the dust. And I've always wondered, I wonder if he's writing their sins in the dust because of what he's about to say. And he says, okay, you want to try to trick me with the law? Whoever is not guilty of any sin, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And so one by one, all the accusers, they are like, we have sin. We are, we're guilty. And they start to leave one by one. And then Jesus says to the woman, hey, where are your accusers? She says, there, there, there aren't any. They had all left. They were all guilty. And he says, I, I don't condemn you. But then he says, go and sin no more. And I think as a church, I think as American Christians, we really like that phrase. I Like, hey, where are your condemners? I don't condemn you either. We love grace. We love that there's forgiveness. We love that there is second chance after second chance. There's third chance after third chance. There's fourth chances. That God is a God of grace. Can I get a good amen? We love that there's forgiveness and there's hope. And I, there's a tension here, though. Can you imagine being the wife watching this crowd, hey, this woman just slept with my husband. And I've been following the Jewish law my whole life. She's supposed to be punished. She's supposed to be stoned. I feel such hurt. And for those who have ever felt the betrayal of an affair, being the one who is faithful while you watch your, your partner betray you and cheat on you, can you imagine the pain that the other woman is going through? Hey, you need a, you need a, st- Jesus, Jesus, she, she did this to my family. I have three kids. Everybody's looking at me. The whole village knows my business, and you're just giving this, a, this woman a free pass? That's not fair. It's not fair. 
it's grace. And this is a, the tenet of our faith that we have all made mistakes. We've all done horrible things. But Jesus has forgiven us. Jesus has given us grace upon grace, second chance after second chance. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God. I'm so thankful that, that when we have made mistakes, when we're stuck in our darkness, God doesn't leave us alone, but he pulls us out of the pit. He, he helps us not be stuck in darkness, but walk in light. He helps us have a second chance. I remember when I was first becoming a Christian, I, I was working through a lot of tensions in my life. I was a pretty jacked up person. Even as I became a Christian, there were a lot of things I was working through, but especially before I had any hope or an identity or security, I was making all these decisions that hurt people around me. You know, I, I like to see how far I can take things, how I can push the limit, and I, I used to love making fun of people and uh, rallying groups to pick on someone, embarrass them, outsmart them, and just really humiliate people. It's something I'm not proud of. But I, I remember I, I found these two guys, and I would just pick on them. I was a bully in my school, and I would just rally these people and just get them to cry, get them to question themselves. And I was just a mean person, and as I became a Christian, and they noticed that my life was starting to change, and people at school were seeing me as like a Christian, a follower of Jesus, someone spiritual. They're like, that was the same guy that used to bully us. That was the same guy that used to be mean to us. And, and finally, one of them came up to me, and they're like, Pradeepin, do you know that the words you used to say to me just impacted my heart so much? And I used to stand in front of a mirror with a razor blade, considering taking my own life because of the words you said. Do you know I lost so many of my friends, and, and I'm dealing with so much because of the hatred, hatred and in bitter words you would cram in my face every day. And here I am, like, trying to follow Jesus, but I have this, like, past. Yeah. I have all these mistakes. I have all this embarrassment. And I just said, I'm so sorry. I've messed up. I'm not the same person anymore. But that doesn't excuse how I've behaved in the past. Could you please forgive me? And the, this guy, he, he said, you know what, I do. I, I forgive you. And honestly, I didn't do anything to earn that forgiveness. I didn't do anything to earn that grace. But when he said those words, it was like a weight came off my shoulder. And I began a process of just saying, Jesus, I'm so sorry for my past. I'm so sorry, and I'll work through this. I hate who I was before. I hate these decisions. But Jesus... Thank you for forgiving me. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But thank you for grace. Thank you for a second chance. Thank you for a new beginning. Is there anybody here who has a past and you're just thankful for the grace of God? Because you could never right all the wrongs you've made in the past. And there's nothing we can do to correct sometimes all the things we've done. Maybe we've wronged someone who's died. And you're like... I can't resolve this. I can't fix this. It's not possible in my own strength. And it's in those moments, I am thankful for grace. And some of us in this room, maybe we're like this woman who, who has hurt a family. 
And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. I, I'm not your accuser. Hey, I forgive you. I have hopes for you. I have dreams. And some of us have been carrying this condemnation. And I just want to say, through the power of the cross, through the love of Jesus, Jesus does not condemn you. Jesus gives you a, a chance, a second start, a new beginning. He gives you freedom. He gives you hope. And maybe you can't dig yourself out of the hole. But here's the reality of the gospel. We don't have to do this alone. Jesus sees our mess. He sees our ugliness. And he says, I don't judge you. I don't abandon you. Only in this moment, I will lift you up out of the pit. I have a plan for you. There is grace upon grace. Can we give it up for Jesus? for grace and second chance and forgiveness. But sometimes there's this tension like, but how, can we just have this free pass? And even at Kalo's church, you know, we try to live a life of grace here. And, and sometimes people will approach me and be like, hey, did you know that Kalo's church is filled with sinners? Did you know that there are people serving on the team that have some issues? Did you know what this person said or did. And, and Kalos Church, do you know how people act when they're not outside, when they're outside of the, the walls of this building? And I, I realize, like, even in our community, we all have issues. We all have mistakes. And if we have a church that's filled with just people who are acting perfectly all of the time, and if we're afraid to acknowledge the sin that we have, if we're not willing to be vulnerable, if we're not willing to acknowledge that, hey, even if we are leaders, we still make mistakes, I think we miss out on the tension of being full of grace and truth. I mean, the fact is, I want Kalo's church to be a place filled with grace, where people who have backgrounds and are currently making mistakes still feel like they can have a relationship with Jesus. I don't want us to be a museum for people who have perfectly preserved a, a holy life. I want us to be a hospital where the sick, the broken, the people who are still bleeding can approach us and see the beauty of Jesus. Amen. And so the moment, honestly, this is a weird statement. I don't know if I fully agree with it. But the moment sin is not at Kalos Church is a moment I question how we are doing healing the sin of the world. Because we need to be a safe place where people who still have issues can come. And the moment we feel like nobody has issues, I wonder if we're missing out on our mission. Because we want to be a place of grace. And I see throughout the life of Jesus, he was not afraid to associate with sinners and tax collectors and the outcasts of that day. And here's something I, I've seen in the scripture. Jesus rather be excluded for who he included than included for who he excluded. He was willing to associate with the, the outcasts of society, even if the religious people judged him for it. He never excluded people so he could be accepted. He always included the people who maybe weren't welcome in the church, in the temple, and the religious society. And I believe that's our calling as Kalos Church, to make known the beauty of Jesus to people who don't know it. Amen? Amen. Jesus, rather be excluded for who he included than included for who he excluded. So my question is, is there someone you need to extend grace to? There's someone you've been condemning in your heart. Or is there condemnation that you've been carrying and you just need to say, Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiving me. I can't work my way into salvation, so I just receive a free gift that I don't deserve. 
The second thing that we see is that Jesus is full of truth. He not only says, neither do I condemn you. He says, go and sin no more. In verse 12, then, he says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And so he doesn't just say, hey, you're good. You have a free pass. He says, hey, you need to change the way you live. Go and sin no more. And I think we need a foundation of truth that when we have an encounter of the grace of Jesus, yes, grace forgives us, but our encounter with Jesus should also transform us. We are forgiven but we are transformed. We love that Jesus is our Savior, but we need to also acknowledge Jesus as our Lord, our Master, the one who leads us, the one where we say, not my will, but yours be done. And we need this foundation. You know, like we said, we have a culture that says, follow your own truth, but we need to speak truth to power. We need to cry out for injustice, but who I am to judge. We don't like intolerance, but we're you know, like things like that, but we are intolerant of intolerance. And sometimes it feels like there's these double standards. And we say things like we want to be politically correct, but none of us trust politicians. So why would we want to be politically correct, right? We don't even trust them. We don't believe that they're telling the truth. Poly means many, tick means bloodsucker, you do the math, right? And so what, like, what do we do? What do we do? You know, I, I like these loopholes that presents itself in a society that doesn't believe in truth but cries out for justice. For someone like me who likes loopholes, that's amazing because I know people are fickle in what they believe. In fact, when I, when I was about 24, I was in a, a group of vegans, and I went to the zoo school. I went to high school at the Minnesota Zoo, so I had a lot of environmental friends, and I love animals, but I had friends who would not even eat an apple unless it organically fell off a tree. Like, they did not want to disrupt the environment totally. And so I was like, okay, my friends, you, you don't want humans to eat meat, which is cool. Like, you, you don't like that animals are suffering, which is cool. And so people shouldn't kill animals. And so I'm, I'm presenting a loophole because I bet there's a double standard here. But who's protecting animals from killing other animals, right? Like, if a lion kills a gazelle... The, the, the gazelle is still dying. The result is the same. Does it matter if a human is killing the animal or an animal is killing the animal? So I actually created an organization and a website to, to fight this cause called Pafa Now, protecting animals from animals. So the site's not live anymore, but it was. And so I actually got a group of people to be like, yeah, we need, like, we need to destroy all spider webs because flies are in there. We, we can't let any animal kill any animal. And people are like, yeah, but they're like, they're like wait, no, what? That, we're going to destroy the environment to save the environment. Because <laughs> like, some animals have to survive by eating other animals. And they're like, I don't know what to believe. <laughs> and I've I just noticed, though, when, when you get rid of the foundation of truth, justice without truth becomes an indecisive mob just looking for a cause to attach themselves off to until something else presents that seems more fashionable. Have you ever noticed that? It's like someone just wants to be mad about something, but without truth, you can be mad about anything. There's this quote by Malcolm Muggeridge that says this, truth is very beautiful, more so than justice, which easily puts on a false face. 
In my lifetime, the world has overflowed with bloodshed and explosions whose dust has never had time to settle before others have erupted. Only purportedly just causes. The quest for justice continues and the weapons of hatred pile up, but truth was an early casualty. The lies on behalf of which our wars have been fought and our peace treaties concluded. The lies of revolution and counter-revolution. The lies of advertising, of news, of salesmanship, of politics. The lies of the priest in his pulpit, the professor at his podium, the journalist at his typewriter. It is truth that has died, not God. And uh, there's a danger here when we say just follow your own truth. And there's a danger when we as a church say, hey, hey, there's grace. Live however you want to live. It's cool. No, we need to not just have Jesus as Savior, but Jesus as Lord, where we're forgiven and transformed. You know, there's another quote that I really like by a man named Greg. It says this, too often we read a few scriptures that make us feel good and then omit everything else that we know about Jesus that might make us feel bad. Some have bowed down to modern trends and allowed themselves to be manipulated by the media and false teachers. Too many people are looking for a religion that is easy. In the world, we are offered instant salvation and taught about a Christ that accepts everyone just the way they are and doesn't expect repentance or change. Instead of looking for a church that teaches truth, many are on a quest to find a church that can satisfy their innate desire to worship God and yet at the same time live the lifestyle that they want to live regardless of how ungodly it really is. Some consider it a great feat to find a church that allows them to live how they want to live and still feel like they are worshiping God. Isn't that powerful? And so we need truth in our lives. We need a foundation. We need to trust the leadership of Jesus more than our own leadership. Amen? Amen. And so is there a part of your life that doesn't line up with the standards Jesus has for us? Is there a part of your life where you need to go and sin no more? And so we need both. Amen? We need both grace and truth. Both grace and truth. And so I, I see it kind of like this. Anybody here ever ride a bicycle? Awesome, safe place if you haven't. No, it's grace. Grace. But if you've ridden a bicycle and you've just tried to, like, just use one foot, maybe your other foot is hurt, it, it doesn't work very well. It's like you push one side only, you're not going to go very far. And it, it's only when the bicycle has tension on the right side and then you push down on the left side, and you work those things together that the bike can move forward. And in the church, I feel like sometimes we fall to one <coughs> camp or the other. We fall to one pedal or the other. Hey, the church just needs to be a place of grace. And we just push this pedal, and we find that we're not going anywhere because, uh, you know, truth without, or grace without truth is like, it's like, meaningless. What is forgiveness if you don't need to be forgiven? And we just push this and we don't feel like life really has meaning. Just live whatever you want. There's no standard. I sense that like sex trafficking is wrong, but without truth and following your own truth, who am I to judge? Like sex traffic all you want. Be racist all you want. Follow your own truth, right? It doesn't really feel right. It feels incomplete. But then some of us were like all truth and we're just mean. We just judge people, and most of us decided to follow Jesus because of the grace he showed us, 
because of the mercy, because of the forgiveness, because someone in their lives, maybe representing Jesus, showed us forgiveness and unmerited grace, and we're like, that is beautiful. But when we're all truth, it just becomes like we have to perform for God. We have to work, and we're trying to earn our salvation. We're trying to be good enough for the Lord, but we find we're never good enough. But just like a bicycle, if we push just one, we're not moving forward. But when we go back and forth, we have grace and truth. We find that we can move forward. And this church, you may have felt the messiness of living in this tension. Because the moment we resolve grace and truth, we stop living like Jesus. The moment we find the perfect balance and we stop acknowledging the tension, we don't have the messiness that we see in the life of Jesus, where he's calling some people brutal vipers in this moment and just saying, hey, you're cool. Go and sin no more. We need both. And so my question to you today is a couple of questions. Have you been watering down one for the other? Have you felt like you need to water down grace? so you can have more truth, or water down truth, so you can have more grace? Do you need to go and sin no more? Maybe there's some places in your life where you're just not living up to the standards of Jesus, and you're just like, I'm going to live how I want, Jesus can follow me. But you're saying, you know what, I need to follow the direction of Jesus. Or do you, do you need grace? Is there like condemnation that's been on you? And you just need to say, Lord, I accept your forgiveness. Thank you for a second chance. Maybe you're here because you feel like if I just go to church, maybe God will accept me then if I just work hard enough. But no, it's grace. You can't earn it. The moment you earn it, it ceases to be grace. It's a free gift. All you got to do is receive it. Do you need to extend someone grace? Maybe you've been judging someone hardcore, and you need to give them grace. Or maybe there's someone in your life that you're like, you're living a way that is leading to destruction, and I'm going to be a good friend to you and not just let you destroy your life. And I'm going to share some truth with you. How can we get back in the middle? Just like it says Jesus was in the middle of the crowd. How can we get back in the middle of grace and truth? Because I believe we're called to do that. So let me say this again. The thesis statement. And I want this to be something we pray into. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. Without truth, we are corrupt. Without grace, we are condemned. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this tension. Thank you for the moments where you've shown us grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you so much that you love us where we are at, but you continually lead us to experience life and life abundantly. That we can have a better way that you've shown us how we are constantly hurting ourselves and harming ourselves, and you're helping us find a better path, one where we can walk in the light and not darkness. So, Lord, in our church, I pray that this would be a home to sinners, that this would be a place where people don't feel like they have to have their lives all put together before they can explore the beauty of Jesus here at Kalos Church. But I also pray, Lord, that you wouldn't just be our Savior, but you would be our Master, they would say, Lord, we trust you and your ways. We trust your standards. We want your truth in our life. We trust that you only have good things and good plans for us. So, Lord, we, we give you all these things. If we need to change our ways, we'll change our ways. If we're living in sin, Lord, we, we want to go and sin no more. If we're carrying condemnation, Lord, we're thankful for your grace. 
have your way in this place. We pray in the name of Jesus. Hey, before I transition off the stage, I, you know, this is such a powerful truth. And some of us, we need the grace of God in our lives right now. We need Jesus to help us start fresh to have a new beginning. And if you're in this place, you're needing forgiveness, you're needing a second chance, you're needing a new beginning, Jesus wants to give that to you. He loves you so much. I'm so thankful I received forgiveness and a new hope. And if you're in this place and you're just in darkness and condemnation, you're stuck in something and you're just saying, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. Would you pull me out of the pit? Jesus, I want to follow your leadership. Maybe you've been living in your own way. You've been stubborn. You've just been following your own truth. And you acknowledge that you're fickle and you're saying, Jesus, your, your ways are consistent. Your ways are good. Your ways are better. I want to follow you. Um, I would love to pray for you. It'd be my great honor. And so I'm going to have us bow our heads down. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm just going to have you raise your hand real quickly so I can see it. You can put it down and I'll pray for you. So when we bow our heads and close our eyes, but if that's you in this place, you're saying, Pastor Pradeepin, would you pray for me? I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Would you lift up your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Amen. I see your hand. You can put it down. Is there anybody else? Amen. Hey, I'm so proud of you. And I'd love to lead you all in a prayer. And let's do this as a family, as a community. So I'm going to put a prayer on the screen. Why don't we put those words on the screen? And we're going to pray this all at the same time. Let's do it all together, especially if you raise your hand. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause for life change? Amen, amen.